Hello and welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley. Thanks for listening. In this episode, the battle between the Justice Department and Donald Trump goes on, while his biggest problem may not be in Washington, but in Georgia. Why are Republican governors sending migrants north to cities like New York and now Martha's Vineyard? Yeah, we know what they're saying, but what is the real reason? Insurance companies are taking police departments to task, and we'll tell you why. Can Ukrainian military gains against Russia be maintained or maybe even expanded? And finally, there's the story of Patagonia. First, the seemingly endless war between the Justice Department and Donald Trump. In its latest iteration, federal judge Eileen Cannon refused to allow the Justice Department's request to resume key parts of its examination of documents seized at Trump's home. That order remains in place until a special master examines the documents. This dramatically slows, but does not stop the DOJ's probe. The special master is semi-retired federal judge Raymond Deary of New York's Eastern District. Judge Cannon did hand the DOJ a bone of sorts. She's allowing them to sort through classified documents first and then allow them to be used by the FBI as part of its continuing investigation. She also ruled that the Bureau could continue probing, quote, the movement and storage of seized materials, including documents marked as classified, without discussion of their contents, end quote. The Justice Department has decided to appeal the ruling. Good for them. Despite agreeing to a special master, Judge Cannon's ruling benefits Trump and his allies in one substantial way. Judge Deary has until well after the midterms to finish his work. And that's the most important part of all. Remember, Trump isn't running, but many of his endorsed candidates are. At the very least, Republicans don't want the former guy's trouble to impact their candidates. And remember, some of their candidates have already said they will reject the results of the election if they lose. They've got enough to deal with, do the Republicans, what with abortion overreach and pushback coming back to bite. And what does Trump have to say about the possibility of being indicted? He told a radio show host last week there would be, quoting here, problems in this country the likes of which perhaps we've never seen before. Sounds like a veiled threat to me. And all this to protect himself from being accused of compromising national security. We don't yet know, and I don't think he knows either. But still, he's got other problems. Does Donald Trump. Down in Atlanta, Fulton County DA Fannie Willis is looking into whether criminal charges should be filed against those who challenged the 2020 election results in the Peach State. In case you didn't know, this DA does not play. While she's been quiet about whether she has evidence that Trump himself did anything wrong, she says she's heard credible allegations that serious crimes were committed. By serious crimes, one would conclude she means offenses that can result in somebody going to prison. Remember, this is the situation where in early 2021, Trump called Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and tried to pressure him to find more than 11,000 votes that would have swung the state to him. 
Willis says she intends to wrap up her probe by the end of this year. Again, out of the realm of the midterm elections. Republicans, as is their habit, have been calling her investigation biased since day one. Any surprise there? Up next, Southern governors, at least two and maybe more thus far, are sending migrants to New York, Washington, and now Martha's Vineyard. Wonder why? This is The Intersection. It's Mark Riley with The Intersection of Politics and Culture. Stay tuned. What's happening in your world? Is there an issue you'd like me to talk about? Hit me up with a comment on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. By now you've doubtless heard about the cynical moves by governors of Florida, Texas, and Arizona to move asylum seekers to what they call liberal enclaves like New York, Washington, D.C., Chicago, and even Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. They say that is that they're doing this to highlight the Biden administration's lack of action on illegal border crossings. They've been cheered on by Philistines like Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. It's no accident that two of the governors, Abbott in Texas and DeSantis in Florida, have presidential aspirations. This is how they see themselves as burnishing their right-wing credentials. Never mind, they're dealing in many cases with desperate human beings. They also don't do a thing and aren't thinking about doing a thing about the underlying causes of the steady increases in border crossings. That would be because there's more than one, and maybe they can't count that high. Meanwhile, the states and cities where the migrants are arriving are quickly finding themselves overwhelmed. Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, points out the city already has a huge problem finding room for homeless people currently living on city streets. And of course, there's ample precedent for these deportations. That's right, precedent. White citizens councils of the 50s and 60s used deportations of black people to protest desegregation. That's right. And Irish refugees in the 19th century weren't exactly welcomed in the U.S. either. This combination of political grift and just plain distaste for the other makes for a perfect storm. What's ironic in this case is that part of the reason people are coming in such large numbers, not the whole reason, but part of it, is because there's a shortage of workers in the U.S. and little work in the countries they're emigrating from. And yet, this migrant movement is just the latest manifestation of something we've discussed before. It includes a lot of different threads. For example, don't say gay, abortion, transgender rights, the rights of people of color. You get the picture, I hope. They want to reassert control of the American narrative to suit themselves in a time years ago when the concerns of the other didn't much matter. Some call it white supremacy, some call it racism, xenophobia, homophobia, and the like. People like Greg Abbott, Ron DeSantis, Ted Cruz, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and the like, use that sentiment in the populace to get themselves elected 
and to get themselves enriched. Trouble is, they never actually lived in the time they're trying to drag the country back to. That's why you have all kinds of contradictions and twisted, twisted narratives and twisted solutions to problems that they could solve in different ways, in more humanistic ways. But they won't do that because it doesn't appeal to their base. And bottom line, what we see going on with these deportations is red meat to the base of DeSantis, red meat to the base of Greg Abbott and others. And it will continue to go on until maybe either the federal government steps in or, and this could happen, some of these, quote, liberal enclaves push back and push back hard. One of the side effects of police brutality and misconduct are large settlements paid by municipalities to victims. Now it seems, according to the Washington Post, the companies that insure small and medium-sized police departments are forcing them to make some changes in chases and in the use of force. Some of this has to do with the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Police departments are being told either change the way you police or the insurance companies will simply drop your coverage. Some departments, according to the Post, are finding it tough to change carriers for the same money. Big city departments like New York and Los Angeles handle things a little bit differently, so they're insulated from insurers' demands. Still, police departments are in fact changing the way they police largely by revising police chase policies. What's troubling about these changes is that they did not come as a result of injuries to civilians, but rather because of money. It's obvious to communities of color that changes have been needed for a long, long time. The police have always responded with the same cliche, that being changes make it more difficult for them to do their job. There's a simple way to frame this. The public deserves effective policing that is absent brutality, racism, and misbehavior. It really, folks, is just that simple. Up next, good news from Ukraine and Patagonia does something extraordinary. This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. It's been a while since there's been some good news out of the Ukraine. In just a week, Ukrainian forces have taken decent-sized swaths of territory previously occupied by Russia. The plain fact is, the Ukrainians have outfought the vaunted Russian military in the Kherson region. The Russians themselves have even acknowledged losing some territory, both on the military and on the diplomatic fronts. There's little doubt the Ukrainians have benefited from increased arms supplies from the West. The downside is that even these successes don't promise to shorten the war. The Russians have also reportedly procured a new and very dangerous attack drone from Iran. 
They say they'll continue to hit targets in the Ukraine, and they're not necessarily ruling out civilian targets. The problem for them is their close allies, China and India, aren't as gung-ho as they were when the conflict started. Taken together, all this would seem to indicate a negotiated settlement will be best for everyone. Sadly, none seems to be in sight, or even at this point, possible. My guess is Vladimir Putin is having a tough time explaining to, Russia, to the Russian people why they haven't won this war yet. In the meantime, Ukraine is accusing the Russians of torture and mass atrocities. This has the effect of encouraging Western support. But as I said last episode, the question is, for how much longer? Ukraine's stated intent is to drive the Russians all the way back to the 2014 borders. In other words, before Crimea. We'll see if they can actually pull that one off. And finally, Patagonia. The $3 billion company founded in 1973 has done something so bold and so different that it boggles the mind. Founder Ivan Schoenard has decided to give the company away. That's right, lock, stock, and barrel. This in the service of fighting climate change. The company, according to its website, has been transferred to a trust created to carry forward Patagonia's mission and values. The website letter declares, Earth is now our only shareholder. In doing this, Schoenard and his family have become extraordinary environmental patriots. His friends say the move is true to his belief that there isn't all that much time to save the earth, and this is his way of doing it. Turns out Patagonia has been walking this walk throughout its existence. In 2021, for example, Patagonia announced it would no longer sell its merchandise at a popular Wyoming ski resort after one of the owners hosted a fundraiser featuring Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene and other Republicans who supported Donald Trump. Patagonia was one of Trump's staunchest critics. If only other companies paid more attention to the environment and just a little less to their shareholders' bottom line. Well, we can dream, can't we? Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.